Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Last week, we talked about the first half of uh, Philippians 1, or, you know, the first half of this small section in Philippians 1. And one of the things that we were considering is we were looking back at God's grace for us, at God's love for us, at God's concern for us. And we were thinking about the blessing that it is to be able to partner in the gospel, right? And so we reflected about that. We reflected about how in 2023, we were able to partner, to come together in the gospel. And again, a reminder that all of this is by God's grace. It is a gift of God. It is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so even though we can definitely look back with optimism and, and say, this is great. This is, it is great that we've been able to partner here. But at the same time, we always have to look up and say, God, thank you so much for the blessing that you've given us. And so now we're going to look at the second half of this section here in Philippians Philippians chapter 1, and basically what, what I want us to see in this passage, what I, what I want to highlight from this passage is that God's desire for us is that our love would abound more and more. In other words, God's desire for us, God's will for us is that we would grow in our love for Him and in our love for one another, right? And that's, that's I believe that this is where God is leading us this year. And, and, and so the thing that we are praying, the thing that we're hoping, the thing that we're working toward is that in 2024, our love for one another would increase. Our love for God would increase. That, that our love would abound more and more, like it says in this passage. So, Let's read this passage and then we will pray and continue to think about it. So I'm going to read ver- starting in verse three for context. And thank you, uh, Michael. Let's stand for reading God's word if you are able. Philippians 1 verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ, of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have brought us together, that you have made us partners in, in the gospel. Thank you that your grace has been evident in us and for us this past year. And Lord, we ask that you continue to give us of your grace this year. We ask that we would continue to be strengthened by the grace that is in your son Jesus in 2024. That your grace would uh, purify us, would make us blameless, would make us righteous. And Lord, we pray that we would grow in our love for you and for one another this year. That you would strengthen our love, that we would grow in our knowledge and wisdom and uh, understanding and discernment of what is right, what is excellent. Lord, please guide us in this message that we are um, about to hear from your word. Please teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of a church that I have felt nothing but love from them. And I'm particularly thankful because uh, my parents, they tell me a story that when my dad began pastoring a church in Mexico City about 33 years ago, um, they came to this new church. It was a church that was already established. And one of the first things that happened when they arrived to this church is that several of the women in that church had a meeting with my mom to tell her all the things that she was doing wrong in raising her kids. <laughs> so as you can imagine, they, they did not feel very welcomed at first or very loved at first. Uh, eventually, by God's grace, Many of those, uh, many of those uh, women, sisters in Christ, they came and they apologized to my mom, uh, I think probably years after that. Um, and, and now, um, I, I don't want to say this is related or not related because, again, this is in a gap of 30 years. But unfortunately, the church that my, parent, that my dad uh, pastored for those 30 years um, after my dad retired from that church, unfortunately, the church split. And it's actually pretty much no longer in existence. And that's a really sad thing. That's a really sad thing. And I remember one, uh, not too long ago, uh, when I was in Mexico, they invited me to preach at that church. And we were preaching through, here at Kaleo, we were preaching through Revelation and, and we were actually going through the seven, uh, the seven churches of Revelation. And so I was praying, I was thinking about how I could encourage this church in Mexico. And, and I really felt like God was directing me to preach the letter to the church in Ephesus. And one of the things about this church in Ephesus is that they were very uh, uh, strong in, in their discernment of what was good and evil, right? They were, very, they were very good about 
uh, uh, identifying false teaching and false teachers. But the problem that they had is that they didn't have love for one another. And one of the things that Jesus tells this church of Ephesus is that if they do not return to their first love, he will remove the candlelight from among them. And so I do not claim to, you know, have any, you know, prophetic abilities of anything of the sort, but it did feel very prophetic to bring that message to that church and then for that church. And, and so the reason I'm saying it felt prophetic is because I knew that the church was struggling with that. I knew that the church was struggling with loving one another. I knew that there was a lot of division. I knew that there was a lot of uh, fighting and bickering. They were really strong in their doctrine. They were really strong in identifying false teaching, but they were not strong in loving one another. And so the message that I brought to them was, if you do not return to your first love, God will remove the candlelight from this church. And unfortunately, it hurts me to say, because I grew up in that church, unfortunately, God did remove his candlelight from that church or, uh, or lampstand, or I guess it depends on what translation you're using. But uh, that church basically ceased to exist. And so the reason I'm mentioning all of this, I'm, the reason I am mentioning all of this is not because I think that Kaleo is there. Right? I don't think that Kaleo is at the point that the church of Ephesus was, or I don't think that Kaleo is at the point that the church in Mexico was. By God's grace, I don't think we're there. By God's grace, I really feel like this church definitely is a loving church. I definitely uh, uh, sense and notice and have experienced the love that, that we show for one another. But at the same time, just like we are seeing in this passage, love is something that we need to grow in. Love is not something that we just achieve once and say, okay, yeah, we're a loving church. We're good to go. What's the next thing? But rather, love is something that we need to continue to abound in. Love is something that we need to grow. Love is something that we need to exercise. And then another thing that I was thinking about, about us, about Kaleo, is that I wonder if sometimes tolerance or niceness or civility could be confused for love. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that maybe, maybe we are a loving church because maybe we haven't had any real tests to our love, right? Maybe we are a loving church or it looks like we're a loving church because really all we have to do is just be nice to one another, be civil, be tolerant of one another, and so what I was thinking as I was thinking about this passage is what would happen if our love were to be tested? Would it, would it show itself to be true Christian, Christ-like love? Or would the result be that, well, maybe we were just being nice to one another, but really we were not exercising uh, or you know, working out and growing in that love that we are commanded to grow in. And so again, my, my hope and my prayer for us as a church in 2024 is that this year we would grow in that love, that this year we would exercise that love. I don't, I'm not necessarily asking for God to send anything that will put that love to the test because I know that that would be difficult. I know that trials are difficult, 
But my prayer is that we can work out our love for one another and our love for Christ. So this is Paul's prayer for the, for the Philippians, that their love would abound more and more. And this is ultimately God's will for us, right? That our love would abound more and more. And I believe that before we even begin to, to look at, at, you know, the details in this prayer of Paul, I think that we need to go to the biggest example of love that is actually at the heart of this letter in Philippians. And that is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 is, is the heart of this letter, is the hinge on which this letter uh, pivots or balances. And this, this uh, section of Philippians 2, 1 through 11 describes the epitome of love, right? This passage describes uh, what Paul means when he is telling the, the Philippians that, they ha- that he's praying that they would grow in their love, I believe that this is what he has in mind when he's talking about love. So I'm going to read it. This is not our main passage for today, so I'm only going to make a few observations, and then we're going to go back to chapter 1. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, what an incredible passage. And I believe that this passage is what Paul has in mind, or, you know, at least this passage. I know, I know there's probably a lot more in mind, but at least this passage is what Paul has in mind when he is praying for the Philippians to grow in their love. And so again, just a couple of things that I want to point out, and it's nothing that we didn't just read. I'm, I'm literally just repeating what we just read. But Christian love is not selfish or prideful, right? When it talks about doing something out of conceit, conceit means doing, or doing something out of conceit means that you are acting in a way that you are evaluating yourself as higher than you ought 
to be. This is actually very related to what Paul says in Romans 13, where he says that no one should think more highly of themselves than they ought. And so basically Paul here is saying, Christian love is not selfish and it doesn't think of itself more highly than it ought to be. It doesn't act selfishly or vainly. And then Christian love is humble and counts others as more significant than self. This is extremely countercultural, right? Our culture, the world today says, no, count yourself as the most important thing, person, and then, and then others, right? When you're on a plane, I, I understand why they do that, right? But it's just an example. When you're on a plane, put your mask first and then help others. That makes sense. But it's just, just an example to, about the mentality, right? The menta- our mentality, the mentality of the word is me. I'm the most important and I'm going to do what is most important and convenient for me. But Paul says that we should count others as more significant than ourselves. Christian love doesn't look only to its own interests, but the interests of others, right? The, the, the world is self-absorbed. The temp- our temptation is to be self-absorbed, to only look at our own interests, at the things that matter to us, But Paul says Christian love looks at the interests of others. Jesus perfectly exemplifies this attitude when he didn't count equality with God. The only one that that would have actually been right to think of himself more highly than anybody else because he is. He didn't do that. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He lowered himself. Himself. He lowered his status. He lowered himself to the status not only of a human, but a human who was a servant who died, not any kind of death, but a death on a cross, which was the most disgraceful death of the time, the Roman cross. So he, he's giving us this, you know, he's telling us this is what love looks like. Love doesn't look at its own, at its own interest. Love doesn't think of, think of himself more, more highly than it ought to. And then, you know, some of us might be like, well, I mean, that's a little extreme. No, it's not too extreme. I mean, it is extremely extreme, but it is very extreme. But this is exactly what Christ did for us. This is the example that Christ set for us. He humbled himself. And so I think that as we think this year, as we think about how we can grow in our love for one another, this passage definitely has to be in mind. And we need to ask ourselves, are we practicing this kind of love? Are we loving others sacrificially, selflessly, counting their, or thinking not only of our interests, but thinking of their interests as well? Considering others as more important than ourselves? Are you willing to lower yourself? Are you, are you, it's not that you don't understand your position, right? It's not that Jesus didn't understand his position. He understood his position, but he was willing to lower himself. And so this is Christian love for us. We understand our position. We understand, you know, that we are created in God's image and, and that everyone deserves a sense of honor for the simple fact that we're created in God's image. But when we understand what Christ did for us, then we should be more than willing to lower ourselves 
for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't say of us, you know what? Just give them what they deserve. He said, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus didn't say, ah, you know what? I'll take care of this later. No, he said, or, you know, he didn't say, ah, you know what? They're not deserving of, of, of my sacrifice or he didn't say any of that. He said, I will suffer the punishment and death for their sins that they committed against me. This is the epitome of love. And I believe this is the love that Paul has in mind when he prays for the Philippians to grow in this love. All right, so let's continue to, to define this love. I think that it is helpful for us to understand this kind of love so that we can apply it. We can actually exercise this kind of love among one another. So let's go back to our passage in, in chapter one and let's define this love a little bit more. In verse nine, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And this is something that I, I already started mentioning, but I want us to think about it a little bit more. Love is something that we have to exercise, something that we have to work out, something that we have to grow in. Love is not the way that the, the, that the world describes it, which is this feeling that, that you know, you, you can't help yourself but fall in love, right? You have no control over it. You simply fall in love and there's no control over that. No, that's not Christian love. Christian love is actually very thoughtful, very intentional. And it is not this once and for all thing that once you reach it, you're done. But just like our sanctification, it is something that we are continually making steps forward. It is something that we're growing towards. And this is why Paul is saying, I pray that your love would abound more and more. In other words, I pray that you wouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, content or maybe content is not the right word. I pray that you wouldn't be um, complacent about the amount of love that you currently have, but that you would seek to grow in it, to exercise it. What happens to your muscles when you do not exercise them, when you don't stretch them, when you don't nurture them? They, they atrophy, right? I believe that's a verb as well as a noun, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, they atrophy. And so what do we do? We have to exercise. We have to stretch. We have to eat healthy. We have to, we have to work toward it. And so in the same way, if we want to grow in love, we need to exercise our love. We need to grow in it. We need to, uh, um, we need to stretch it. And one of the main things that we get from this passage, one of the main ways that we can grow in our love is through prayer. This is what Paul is saying, right? He's saying, my, this is my prayer for you, that your love would increase. And so it only makes sense for us that maybe the very first step that we need to take if we want to grow in our love would be to pray for that. Pray for us personally and say, God, please help me grow in my love. Maybe even think about the people that you struggle to love the most and say, God, please help me to love this person. 
But not only that, but also pray for others that they would also increase in their love. When was the last time that you prayed for the church or for people specifically that they would increase in their love? If I'm honest, I haven't prayed that very often about that, right? I, you know, sometimes we pray about healing, which is not bad. We should definitely pray for healing. But, you know, we, we've kind of defaulted to some, uh, to the same prayers. But here we are encouraged to pray so that we would grow in love. And so this year, as, as we look to grow in our love for God and our love for one another, let's Let's devote ourselves to praying for that, right? Not, not only in our uh, prayer meetings, but also in our private meeting, or sorry, in our private prayer and in our gospel communities and our DNA groups. Let us, in, like it says in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 10, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. And I think one of the ways that we stir one another to love and good works is as we pray for others and for the church and for us to grow in this love. Usually there's a timer there that tells me how long I've been preaching for, but it says zero. So I guess we'll just keep going for another 40 minutes. Um, no. Uh, all right, so... Grow, uh, love is something that we have to work out, something that we have to exercise, something that we grow in, right? It's not this static thing that we arrive and we're done. It's something that we grow in. And we've, we've already seen uh, this, the utmost example of love in the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now let's, div, let's dive in a little bit deeper and continue to define this love, right? Continue to hone in or to, or to um, focus this love. Because unfortunately, I think that the, the idea of love is an idea that has been uh, very confused. I believe that love sometimes can be a little too, a little uh, fuzzy or fudgy or just difficult to understand. Because unfortunately, the world has made it difficult to understand. Um, and I believe that this passage helps us define love even further. And one of the things that, that we see in this passage is that this love is qualified by a few things. One of them is knowledge. One of them is wisdom or discernment. And one of them is testing. And so how do we grow in this love or how do we qualify this love? Well, first of all, our love has to be informed by knowledge. And first of all, knowledge of God, right? Because God is love and God is the source of love. He is the initiator of love. We would not be able to love if it weren't for God. And so we absolutely have to grow in our knowledge of God and of his love for us. We have to grow in our knowledge of Christ and, it, and, and of his work. When we grow in the knowledge of Christ, one, of the, one, one passage that I really like is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says that the love of Christ controls us. And so what's going to happen is that when we grow in our knowledge of the love of Christ, 
the more we know about the love of Christ for us, the more this love is going to control the way that we love others. Our love will be informed by the love of Christ. In this same passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he doesn't, because the, Christ, the love of Christ controls us, he doesn't regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. And he says, because everyone, because, you know, all who have uh, trusted in Jesus, they are a new creation. And I believe that this is what should happen to us, right? When we have experienced the love of Christ in our lives, then we will filter all of our relationships through the love of Christ. When we have experienced the love of Christ, when the love of Christ controls us, all of our human relationships are going to fall under the umbrella of the love of Christ for us. And so I think this is, you know, this is something good for us to think about because oftentimes we tend to compartmentalize and, you know, we, we think, well, you know, it's one thing, my relationship between God and I but what we fail to understand or maybe we just fail to apply is that my personal relationship with God should completely affect all of my other relationships in life, right? We need to bring all of our relationships under that umbrella of the knowledge of the love of God for us. And the knowledge of God, just his commands, his will, his, uh, his excellency, and I believe that that's, that's what the next, um, the next two words are bringing up. So uh, they have to grow in knowledge, or let me read verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So one of the things that our love has to be shaped by is discernment or wisdom. And again, I think that the problem with the love that the, that the world uh, promotes is that it, it has no shape or form, right? It's, it's fuzzy. It's, it's confusing. It's just, you know, just love however and whatever and anything goes. But that's not, that's not Christian love, right? Christian love is defined by our, by our knowledge of God, our knowledge of the love that God has for us. And it is also defined by discernment and wisdom of God's commands, of God's character, of God's righteousness, of God's mercy. And not only that, but it, it should also be controlled and defined by our knowledge of the people that we are called to love. In fact, I would argue that we cannot love those whom we do not know. And if we, um, if we refuse to get to know our brothers and sisters, if we refuse to get to know the people that we are called to love, that in and of itself is unloving. If we want to love people, we have to grow in our knowledge of them. We have to understand them a little bit better. We have to, uh, uh, you know, part of, part of 
growing in our knowledge of other people means knowing the areas in which they struggle, but it also means that they're going to learn and, 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 and know about the areas in which we struggle. And I believe that that's a good thing. And, and I think this goes back to the idea of maybe our love just hasn't been tested. Maybe our relationships are a little too superficial to the point that we just keep it friendly But would our love for one another be able to endure a deeper relationship where we actually get to know more a little bit deeper, a little bit more uh, intimately, where we start seeing the flaws of one another, where we start seeing the sins of one another? And I believe that that's when love is actually tested. And that's when this knowledge of God's Uh, of God's love for us, this wisdom of understanding God's will, God's purpose, God's commands, that's when we learn how to love others. Let me read you this uh, quote by um, Walter Hansen, and he is one of the guys that that wrote a commentary that I was reading. He says, Without insight, love does not know how to express itself with actions and words that are appropriate to each situation of life. Often love asks the question, I desire to love these people with such great needs, but what should I say and do to meet their needs? Only by insight does love have the direction to love wisely in ways that give healing, joy, and life to those who are loved. So when, as we think about growing in love, we need to grow in knowledge. We need to grow in discernment or insight or wisdom. And then we need to grow in our testing of what is excellent, in our testing and approving of what is excellent. And I believe that when we are trying to figure out what is excellent, we have to come to God's character, right? Because he is excellent. And we have to come to the passage that Jordan uh, read earlier today in in, uh, Philippians 4, where Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so as we think about how to best love our brothers and sisters, one of the main things that we have to do is we need to test and discern and and approve the things that are excellent. So what does this mean in real life? Well, it means that maybe there there might be two different paths for loving a brother or a sister. And none of them might be necessarily bad, right? Both of them might be good paths. But I believe that what Paul is encouraging the the Philippians to do is to choose not necessarily what is good, but what is excellent. Not necessarily just what is acceptable, but what actually highlights the gospel of Jesus Christ more. To choose the pathway that highlights the gospel more. To, To choose the pathway that shows and displays and honors the beauty and excellency of Christ. And so if we want to learn to love our brothers and sisters, if we want to grow in our love for our brothers and sisters, we need to grow in the knowledge of God, of his excellencies, of his character, of his will, of his law, of his justice, of his loving kindness, of his mercy. 
the more we love God, the better we will become at loving people. All right, and then just a couple more things about this love. One of them is that this love is exemplified. Paul is not asking the Philippians to practice a love that he hasn't shown for them. In Philippians 4, the, the, the verses that Jordan read, one of the things that Paul says is that they should imitate him as he is an imitator of Christ. And one of the ways in which he is an imitator of Christ is that he loves the Philippians with a Christ-like love. And he expresses it to them. And so just a couple of things to learn from this expression of Paul's love for them is that when we love our brothers and sisters, we need to let them know that we love them, right? Paul is not shy about it. He doesn't feel weird or awkward about telling the Philippians how much he loves them. He repeatedly tells them how much he loves them. And also his love is not fake. He says, God is my witness in verse eight. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's not lying to them. He's not faking it. He actually loves them and God is his witness about that. And he longs to be with them. And I think this is a good question for us in our love for people, do we, do we yearn to be with them? Do we long to be with our brothers and sisters, to live life with them, to encourage them, to have, an, to have them over to our house, to go out for coffee, to help them out with their yard or their gutters or whatever it is that, that you can do for your brothers and sisters? And again, this, this all goes back to what kind of love is Paul showing? Well, he's showing the love of Christ. He says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is a good example of someone who has brought all of his relationships under the umbrella of the most important relationship of all, which is his relationship to Christ. Paul is a good example of someone who has submitted all of his life to the Lordship of Jesus and therefore, all of his relationships are affected by his submission to Christ. And my prayer for all of us is that we would not separate our relationship with Jesus from our relationship with our brothers and sisters, but that actually we would bring all of our relationships with everyone else under the authority of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And then finally, the result of us growing in our love for one another and our love for God, our knowledge for God is that we will become pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The result is that as a church, instead of having Jesus write a letter to us and say, if this doesn't change, I'm going to remove my lampstand. We actually have Jesus say, when I return, I will find a blameless and pure bride. Why? Because you grew in your love for one another. And so loving one another, loving God, is not this uh, uh, you know, irrelevant thing that we can, give, we can choose or, or reject. It is a must. 
It is something that we have to do if we want Christ to encounter us blameless and pure when he returns. If we want to be a church that is righteous, a church that is obedient to him, if we want to be a church that has the righteousness of Jesus, we have to practice the love of Jesus. And then the very final result of this growing in love is that God is glorified. The very end of verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. When we were talking about the DNA of Kaleo, we mentioned that our ultimate purpose as a church and our ultimate purpose in life is to worship God is to glorify God, to give Him all the glory. Well, do you want a, a very practical way in which you can glorify God? It is by loving one another. It's by living in community, by showing this, this mind of Christ that He showed that He didn't consider His equality with God as something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, He humbled Himself, He became a human, He became a servant, and He died on the cross for us. If we want to glorify God, that is the kind of love that we need to practice, exercise, work out, grow in this year. So my prayer is that that would be the case for us. My prayer is that in 2024, we would grow in our love for one another. So let's pray and then we will take communion and remember the love of Christ for us. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that we are able to love you and love others because you loved us first. Lord, we pray that you grant us to grow in our love, in knowledge and discernment, in testing what is excellent, that your name would be glorified here at Kaleo because we are a church that loves one another. In Jesus' name, amen.